Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hi everyone, this is Evan Protexter, and today we're going to be talking about quality control. Uh, I've been in the SBCA realm for about a year and a half now, mostly involved with quality control and inspections and testing for the purposes of quality control. And on the phone with me today, I have uh, Kirk Grundahl. So thanks, Kirk, for joining me. Hey, Evan. Uh, good to be here, and we'll uh, get into quality. And obviously, Evan's discounting a little bit his role. His role is bigger than just QC, but he's been very intimately involved in the QC process. And it's very important for the future of our industry, all the work that's going on, because we're actually, for the first time, providing data that supports our industry's Chapter 3, which is the quality standard. NCTPL in Chapter 3, and without that data, we really can't move our industry forward in a really robust and positive way. Yeah, I know. Like you mentioned before that, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, and that's uh, a little bit about why we're getting into some of this digital QC, which we can talk about another time. But uh, before we get too far into this, Kirk, why don't you explain a little bit about your background in the industry as it relates to QC? So being an old guy, my background goes back to 1983, uh, and probably a little bit before that, working with both P.H. Bowman and Trustwall. P.H. Bowman was, uh, became part of the gang nail system, and Trustwall has become part of the Alpine system and developing trust plates. And obviously, in the trust industry, trust plates are pretty critical. So in 1983, I was actually asked to be the executive director or the managing director of TPI. At that time, I was working at PFS, which was a third-party QC agency. I just had started that job. And my job at PFS was to begin and implement a brand new engineered wood, to say it globally, an engineered wood QC third-party inspection program. So that I got involved with Koss Kinzer and the QC committee when WTCA, Wood Trust Council of America, started. In 1983, they were looking for a third-party inspection program at that time for the wood trust industry. That led to QC from a third-party inspection point of view, where we were dealing with checklists, we were dealing with very rudimentary processes. It was all following, it hadn't even been uh, TPI 85 Appendix P was the QC standard. So we're involved with the very early stages of developing the original standard from 1983 to 86 with PFS. So that's foundation. And then in 92, uh, I got re-engaged with uh, WTCA in 1990 as technical director. And then 92, as exec we took over the management of the entire organization. And we got involved again in 95 with QC. And we can get into some of the reasons why we got why we changed the entire QC process but any further information you want on kind of that background no i mean it sounds like you've been doing QC a long time and it's amazing that you remember all those dates so well i barely remember what i had to eat the day before but um you know you said you've been around a long time and you've you completely changed the way QC was being done in 95 what were some of those changes and what brought that about so we had a committee meeting. Uh, this would have been probably 1993, 94, 
where we started scrutinizing uh, TPI-85 Appendix P. And one of the things in TPI Appendix P that was problematic that we learned was that there was a notion called firm embedment. When you take a look at the trust manufacturing process, no one could meet the TPI standard. And so 1995 was an anti-TPI-1 change process. We were doing work between uh, effectively 92, uh, 93, 94, because we had the meeting where we need to change the standard because there's not one component manufacturer in the entire industry that could meet that standard. And that's got tremendous implications when you have a standard that you've produced by an industry where no one can consistently meet the requirements of the standard. So we started talking with TPI uh, that's when the ANSI standard process began in TPI, uh, TPI 180 or TPI 85 Appendix P and TPI 85 were not ANSI standards. So this was the first ANSI standard. We're going to go through a consensus process and it's the first chapter three development. Uh, the other piece of the equation was the American Wood Council uh, got after Bob Ward, who was president of WTCA and I think 1990, I don't remember exactly. But as president, he was criticized because the industry didn't have a robust quality control system. And so interestingly enough, Scott Ward's son is chair of quality control today. Well, I did a lot of work with Rip Rogers, Don Hershey, Bob Ward on the QC side. Uh, Pat McGuire did some testing. We ended up developing this plate embedment methodology and what could a trust plant, the question we addressed through research was what could a trust plant do in terms of plate embedment? Because we wanted to know, gosh, firm embedment's not gonna work uh, because, of, because of the variability of lumber and variability of the manufacturing process. So we have to have something that says, what is a reasonable embedment procedure that we can count in an embedment depth that ended up being, a 32nd of an inch that typically the plants could do consistently. And that was the rudiments of a change in the standard from firm embedment to a 32nd of an inch gap in each joint as being 100% effective. Because we knew that by and large back then, the trust plants could do, could achieve that level of quality. And that led to uh, the anti one 1995 chapter three. So you, when you say that you know, it changed from specifying firm embedment to one thirty-second of an inch, I know we've talked about this in the past, and I've talked to Pat McGuire as well a little bit about this. What was the process that you guys went through to determine what was, I mean, reasonable? Obviously, there has to be some tolerance and some give if a manufacturer is going to be able to pass trusses. So how did you guys go about determining that a 32nd of an inch was appropriate? The committee got together. Pat was president, I think, in 95, 96, somewhere in there. And so Pat got a committee together, and we ended up actually manufacturing trusses. Uh, just took a series of trusses, different truss types, different table types, different manufacturers. And I don't remember how many were involved. And Pat and those trust manufacturers did a survey of just general manufactured trusses and they actually measured embedment gap. So they were taking a look at what can we do 
on an ongoing basis, both good and bad. And there was a range of data. And ultimately, as everybody, as we started taking a look at that data and compiling it, a 32nd of an inch was better than firm embedment. I mean, there are times when the plates are actually the, the backside of the, the top of the plate hits the lumber, which is firm embedment. But there are times when that's not the case due to southern pine cushioning. There's a variety of things that go on, thick and thin lumber, uh, moisture content differences, those kinds of issues that would say we, we're not quite getting that plate firm. So what is, you know, how do you define firm? Well, firm is tight metal to wood. Well, we don't always have that. And so this was a, this process led us in the trust plant seeing, okay, what are we getting for outputs? Let's measure those outputs. And that should be a good representation of what we can do on an ongoing basis in terms of embedment. And that was the 32nd of an inch gap. And so that was a that was the big update for the 1995 version. What have we seen for updates to QC process since then? I know there was a few years back, you know, we started doing, um, we went from tooth count to plate placement method and, and some of that. So can you just touch, however briefly, on what some of those changes were like? Yeah, I believe the 1995 version, and we started getting more sophisticated in terms of the language. And I'd have to go back to the 1995 version to remember exactly what we did there, but we interjected tooth count. And part of the reason that we interjected tooth count was back to the, we want to measure it if we can manage it. And so we started that process and some people do tooth count yet today. It's a very accurate measure of QC because obviously you're just really micromanaging the plate. And if you do the tooth count against minimum number of teeth, pretty obvious that whether you pass or not. So we set up a database to begin to do that process. And that came into being in uh, 2002. I think we had the tooth count method uh, robustly. And then uh, we evolved to the plate placement method from there because we did not want to have everybody be forced into the tooth count method because it was very time consuming. But all the way along from 95 to 2002 to 2007, there was an evolution. How do we end up gathering data? How do we put it in a database? Uh, SBCA, I think in the 2000 range, or WTC at the time, but then now SBCA, uh, put together an implant QC program that was database oriented. And again, we had all every step of the way focused on we need to measure this. We need to not be subjective. It shouldn't be a checklist. If we're actually going to use the data to help with training, we're actually going to use the data to help with improving continuous improvement in the trust plant. If we're going to actually use the data to evaluate machinery, those kinds of things have to be measured because you don't want to guess. And if you don't have rock solid data, you really can't make good judgments about how to make process improvements, whether it's training or whether it's the actual manufactured quality. So that period of time, 95 to 2007, was a period of time where we were refining, how do we get to a spot where we can actually gather data and have a management information system that was robust? And the impediment to this has always been time. It takes too much time to get the job done. Tooth count, pain in the neck. 
uh, plate placement methodology with a tolerance polygon, that's a lot better. And that was an outgrowth of a discussion saying tooth counts of pain in the neck. It just takes too much time. It's great data, but it takes too much time. So how do we streamline this process? Sure. So you just mentioned something that was seemed pretty important to me. The the concept of continuous improvement. So that being, you know, a plant now has better understanding of what's going on in their plant um, as far as the quality of the truss and for training purposes. What have been some of the responses that we've gotten from plants that have implemented a program? So, you know, decreased callbacks, less time spent on rework. You know, I know Scott Ward is a huge proponent of the fact that he spends a lot less money in redoing trusses now. What what other sentiments have you heard in the industry from people who have started this type of program? QC really from our perspective has always been, and if you take a look at what Don Hershey and Bob Ward and uh, John Herring, Cross Kinzer, uh, Rip Rogers, that entire group, their thought process was this. It's about training, number one. It's about having data upon which to train. So what you typically find with a trust plant when you go into an initial discussion about QC is everybody thinks their trusses are of great quality and the guy down the street doesn't produce very good quality. And so that's a common theme. Once you start measuring quality, it opens your eyes and you end up seeing that certain, certain lines, certain crews do a great job. Certain other crews, maybe not so much. And we need to end up having that data to interject a different point of view because most of the time, the guys on the line aren't thinking about plates and how they're applied to a joint and the effect of that on the, the quality of the finished product. And once they start knowing, everybody wants to know, why are they doing what they're doing? What's the value of uh, that job. How can I do my job better? QC allows the very objective point of view to say the job was good or the job needs to be improved. And from that vantage point, that's got a huge impact because what happens is there's two things. Number one, if you get the trusses done right, there's less missed plates in the field, there's less problems in the field, there's less callbacks, and a callback is very expensive to repair, there's less repairs. And if you're doing it right, there's probably not plate substitution, there's probably not lumber substitution that can have real dollars attached to it because people didn't understand the real dollars for one, but they weren't correlating that change to, do I really need to do this? Can I do it, you know, can I figure out a way to do it per the design drawing? and the focus is on the design drawing and the quality based on that design drawing versus get, just getting the truss out the door. Yeah, it seems like a lot of what I've heard is that it's it's difficult to quantify how much is spent or saved on QC because it's, it's not a dollar maker, it's hopefully a dollar saver. So in the end, it's difficult to convince people that it's worth their while and their resources. But I mean, in reality, fewer callbacks, money saved on plates and lumber, money saved on repaired trusses. That's all something that I think component manufacturers would agree is important to their bottom line. So if we take that to its logical conclusion, it's the reason, it's a, it's a core reason why 
If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Or if you do measure it, you can manage it. And it's the do measure and can manage piece that we're really focused on back with the tooth count uh, through to today. Our goal with QC is to have knowledge for making management decisions. And without the data, you don't have the knowledge to make those decisions about what? About, let's take this logically, about training. How good are your individual crews doing? We used to think about, and we've talked a long time, so this goes back to probably 2000, about the Super Bowl of QC. Well, how do you score a QC program if you can't have data or criteria uh, to actually score? And then if you're going to have a Super Bowl, what's the score? How do you compare those scores and who wins? You have to have data to do that. And so now touchdown, you got to cross the goal line. Well, what's a touchdown in QC? Some kind of really good score and some kind of perfect trust. Well, how do you measure a perfect trust? What is a perfect trust? It certainly isn't overplated uh, because that's got a cost attached to it. So training's a big element of this. The second big element is, yeah, if you're substituting plates that are should be three by four and they're five by six, probably want to know that. Uh, if you're 50% overplating at a joint all the time, you probably want to know that. Do you need to do that? Is there a reason for doing that? Can, have you made a decision to overplate? If you overplate for handling, there may be a reasonable decision. But then does that culture carry over to places that you don't have to overplate for handling? And has that decision been made? Is there data behind that decision? So all of this is really being driven by the economics of the trust plan. And this is to improve the economics of the trust plan, whether it be training, whether it be uh, lumber and plate utilization, whether it be minimum number of teeth on a joint, whether it be joints for handling, because joints for handling, if they fail all the time, what are you going to do uh, during delivery? You're going to increase the plate size. Well, you know, maybe having the data to say, gosh, uh, is that really the cause and effect? What's the root cause here? Uh, and then fix the actual root cause and overplate only where you need to to ensure that the handling doesn't break a trust. Or have we overplated for all handling and we don't need to? And how do we test that? Well, you need to know what the minimum number of teeth in the joint are. How close are you to that? And then do you really have problems in the field from that? And how do you manage those two bits of data? And that's gathering a bit more data from the field callback side of things to say, gosh, I reduced my callbacks to zero. Uh, but why did that happen? And you can't address that question unless you have the data from the plant and the data from the field and tie those two pieces together. So this is all about data and you know, managing. Can we have a Super Bowl of QC? Yeah. Can we manage num a minimum number of teeth in a joint and optimize plating? Yes. Uh, can we potentially figure out ways to ensure that the lumber and any lumber issues, any profile issues that we may have problems with, whether it be substitution, whether it be uh, Cup, Wayne, uh, all of those things, you can actually think about this in terms of managing Wayne and, and having enough data to manage Wayne and where do you cut the lumber so the lumber doesn't get cut with Wayne in the joint. Can you do that? Uh, how do you do that? How many times does it happen? Do we need to do that? Because the fact of the matter is, cost of lumber is a big deal too, uh, probably a bigger deal than plates. And so are there mechanisms that we can manage 
and measure to more efficiently utilize lumber? Uh, that's an outstanding question. I don't know that we've got good answers for that, but certainly have no answers if we don't have data. That's a very good point. I mean, it's difficult to have anybody disagree with a solid set of data that their trusses are perfectly um, manufactured, and especially when they get shipped out to job sites and, you know, maybe left out or whatever for a while. You can always look back when you have a complete set of data and say, this is exactly what they look like when they left the plant. So obviously something happened between now and then. Well, and, and I think the key there is, again, measuring and managing, but Part of the value proposition of QC is if you have a problem in the field, let's say trusses are shipped, up, shipped out, they're hoisted onto a job, uh, and they're not gonna get into the weathering, transportation, all of those issues, but they're hoisted on a job, and for whatever reason, the guys that are installing the trusses don't brace them properly, and they fall over, and you know, hopefully no one gets hurt, but no matter what, uh, in any job, uh, hopefully no one gets hurt, but if they do fall over and there's somebody out there taking a look at them that's an expert to figure out what's going on, they're not on your side of the team, that expert first off goes and sees broken uh, joints. And the first question in everybody's mind must be a bad truss. Uh, look at that plate. That plate is pulled off the joint or the plate broke. Must be a bad plated joint. Must be a manufacturing problem. Where we need to get to is to be able to take that off the table. If you have a robust QC program with data behind it, and you can say, you know what? My score on an ongoing basis is 2,000. The average score in the industry is 600. My QC is good. And you've got metrics to say, hey, QC is good, if that were in place. But that's got to be the goal, having some kind of ability to say, when, you, when there's a problem, I've got data to bring to the table that will take QC off the being the focal point of the problem and get back to what's the root cause of the actual problem. Well, shoot, the guys didn't put diagonal bracing in. Uh, that's the root cause of the problem. That's why this whole thing, it's not the QC. But everybody can talk about QC because what you see after a collapse is a lot of potential trust, broken trust members, broken uh, pieces of uh, plate and lumber, maybe joint gaps, all kinds of things that can draw your attention to the wrong root cause, but also draw your attention to who's got the general liability, product liability insurance to pay for this mess. And you want to end up having, if you're going to pay for it, you want to be responsible for it. You don't want to pay for something you're not responsible for. That's why QC will give you the, the guidelines to say, hey, my scope of work, this QC has been measured. I'm not responsible for this collapse from a QC point of view at all. So now let's get talking about the root cause. Right. So there's obviously a lot of great reasons to be part of QC and data collection and proof of quality you know, being the huge reasons, but there's still some hesitation to plants starting a QC program or to performing QC. What are some of the reasons that you've heard, Kirk, for not wanting to do this or for being, you know, for having some pushback about the importance of QC? Probably the big reason is that it doesn't seem necessary and it takes a lot of time. And so 
you know, ultimately, if the if there's no real enforcement of QC, it's not necessary. So you you don't have to do it. There's no reason to have to do it. Why do it? And the second thing is, well, if I'm going to spend all this time, what's the value proposition out of that? And there's also the situation, which is why we like to end up having the notion of having competitions in the plant. We don't want the experience to be negative. And if you end up going down the path of, and one example would be sometimes building officials have the point of view from outside looking in that the building official, all they're there to do is find everything that's wrong. That's a very negative approach to inspections. And so we don't want to get into that negative environment. What we're trying to do to the best of our ability is have data, have training, and get everybody to be viewing this as you know, we're going to produce the best trust and we can know that we are producing the best trust. And when we're not producing the best trust, we also know that and we can correct it. And there's a feedback loop. And that feedback loop is no longer about somebody's perspective or somebody's subjective opinion. It's based on data. The best way to not have the billing official kind of mentality, well, you know, your construction doesn't meet the code, and here's all these red tags. Uh, the best way in a QC environment to be able to fix things is to actually have the ability to say, here's what the data is saying. Let's go back and do a root cause analysis. Let's do a debrief and fix the process. What is causing the process to be out of control? So I think those kinds of things are the impediment. It, it can be viewed as uh, not providing the data, it's subjective, it's somebody's opinion, that's never good. Uh, you really want to get to the point where from a management information perspective, it feels like, gosh, I need this data to help me manage a plant. So when it doesn't appear to be useful, it doesn't appear to be necessary, doesn't appear to be demanded, there's actually, which there's a lot of that in the marketplace, the goal is to, to make sure that it does have a value to the outcomes and the continuous improvement of the plan. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, a great point. And so I guess in kind of wrapping up here, we've talked a lot about uh, where QC has come from, what's going on, what some of the, what the many benefits of QC are. So given all of that, Kurt, can you tell us where you see Trust QC going in the future? Well, as everybody has heard, the key challenge to QC with trust is that we end up being very focused on uh, plates on joints. And I'm not sure that's the right thing to be focused on, ultimately, because a plate on a joint doesn't necessarily suggest what the ultimate quality is of the trust in terms of load carrying capacity. That's a different issue. But given the standard, the TPI standard, which is plates on joint focused, that's what we've got to work with. And until we change that entire standard to something different, we are going to be in that mindset in terms of managing data and managing QC. So if we're going to measure and manage QC, we're going to measure plates on lumber and how that plate on lumber fits into the standard. So from a futuristic point of view, the issue that we've got is time. And the issue we've got is data. And the issue we've got is 
non-subjective data. It's not my opinion. It's not Evan's opinion. It's not Jim's opinion. It's data. And the data doesn't have an opinion. It just tells a story. We want the data to tell a story. We want the data to be easy to grab and process. And we're in a digital world today where if the computer doesn't produce a trust design drawing in 30 seconds or less, people get impatient. And so we're in that impatient world to get the data we need to process some kind of management about that data. Our job and where we really have to get to is that data gathering and the measurement process is really simple to do. And the processing data by the computer is very is as quick as a computer can do it. And we're producing a chart and maybe a series of charts that's very easy to see how the plan's performing. And we may be producing a series of scores to see how each individual line and each individual crew is performing. So we make a game out of this. The more that we can make a game out of QC while still having management information value to make changes in process to improve that process, the more we're going to win. And once we do that, then any problems downstream, we've got a database that says we've got data and we, we know what our process was on that day for that series of trusses. So now let's talk about root causes of the real problem. And ultimately the goal is to not have the trust manufacturer, component manufacturer, always get blamed and always get a back charge because now we have data to explain that's not, our process is not the root cause. Here is data that says, you know, we'll work with you to solve the problems, but we're going to go after the root cause. And if it's in your scope of work, you own the problem. If it's in our scope of work, we own the problem. But we've got the data to know who owns the problem. And we also then, in turn, the plant, have a very, very efficient way to grab that data and make process improvements in the plant. So ultimately, that's the goal. <clears throat> we've been working on it for 1995 to the present. Uh, the digital technology today really helps us because we can probably get closer to that goal. The computer technology today versus 1995 is radically different. And all of these things help us look toward the future for having a robust, objective, quantifiable system that allows us to make benchmark comparisons between good performance, bad performance, and differences, however we define good and bad, we can at least make comparisons on a direct basis and then make changes based on a root cause analysis. So I think that's our future. Uh, we need to get there uh, because if we can get there, we can really help our industry overall. Yeah, and it sounds like what you're saying is that the future of Trust QC is improved data collection. I think that lends itself well to a discussion about digital QC, but I don't think we're going to be able to take care of that today. So Maybe we'll do another one of these podcasts and we can talk more about that. How does that sound? Sounds great, Evan. Thanks for uh, doing this and thanks for the questions. And we'll keep on keeping on because you've got a big job here with us. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk with me about QC for a little while. And I look forward to talking uh, about digital QC and about other topics with you in the, in the near future here. So thanks, Kirk. As well. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com. 